The new apostolic reformation, supposedly led by modern-day apostles and prophets, has confused people, divided churches, and strained relationships as believers are forced to make painful choices between those they love and what they believe to be the truth of God's Word. Most people don't know the movement by any formal name, but its teachers and organizations, Bill Johnson, Bethel Church, Rick Joyner, International House of Prayer, YWAM, are world-famous. Its practices and teachings have also permeated churches all across the world. But are these teachings in alignment with Scripture? How do we use discernment to understand these teachings through the lens of God's Word? What about the worship music that comes from this movement? The extra-biblical teachings on spiritual warfare, signs, wonders, and prayer? Is this a cult? And is it possible to talk honestly about these things without offending or ticking somebody off? Here's a real disclaimer to our listeners. The purpose of the subject matter for this particular episode is not to delight in calling out a certain group or dividing the church or ruining the reputation of a certain minister or ministry. We don't have any interest in being heresy hunters or participating in Christian call-out culture. It's not helpful to bring that kind of unnecessary division to the church or to call someone out as a heretic just because they're different. I've been on the receiving end of that, and not only is it incredibly painful, it doesn't really help the bride of Christ. Our aim for this particular episode is to simply examine the theology associated with this movement that we found to be, well, a bit dangerous and divergent from true biblical doctrine. We're talking about these things out of love and a deep concern for the bride of Christ. And our hope is that everyone who listens would respond by examining each of these issues for themselves with open Bibles, prayer, compassion, grace, and spirit-filled discernment. So let's get back to our previous question. Is it possible to talk honestly about these things without offending or ticking somebody off? Hmm, probably not. Welcome, everybody, to the Beards and Bible podcast. My name is Josh, and I am joined, as always, by my good buddy, Gabe. Gabe, how goes it, my friend? It's going really well. Thank you for asking. Yeah, man. I actually, I really do care about how you're doing, and I just want to just want to get to know you, man. And yeah, I think, I think you set that precedent in the first episode of asking how I'm doing, and I think it's important that you continue to do that, or else my feelings will be crushed if you don't do that in a future episode. Absolutely. Well, it is all about your feelings, and this episode is going to be all about people's feelings as well. Really, we don't have any interest in biblical or doctrinal truth. We just want to make sure that people's feelings don't get hurt. And that's the whole point of mm. everything we're doing. Mm. Not really. Not no. at all. No. Yeah. So shout out to some of our listeners. Uh, we've had new people tune in from Germany, from Belgium, and from Ireland. That's kind of cool. I don't have any accents. To, uh... <laughs> I was waiting for it. <laughs> no, I I have nothing but great things to say about Belgium. I've been to the uh, airport in Brussels several times. I've had layovers there. Great waffles. Belgian waffles. Really? Do you, I mean, even at the airport? You? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, an airport version of waffles. Um, I just really wanted their sprouts, you know, because you're in Brussels. So mm. when you're in Brussels, mm. you eat the sprouts. 
But That's a good question. Do you consider having traveled to that country? Do, do you count that as a country that you traveled to if you just did a layover in that country? In the airport. I mean, I do because I think, I think that makes me sound more important than I actually am. And we all know that that's, you know, that's one of the benefits of traveling to other places is you can sound more important than you actually are. If you're like, oh, yes, I've been there before. And the truth is, you just had a layover there. I mean, what about you? Do you count having visited there if you've been to the airport? I I honestly don't know. I'm, I'm, the, I'm on the fence about it. I don't, I don't think so. I think it's just a, I'm going to err on the side of no. I think, mm. yeah, I think you have to leave and I think you have to, I don't know. I think you got to go catch a cab somewhere or eat some waffles. Oh, okay. or I don't know. Sorry, so, I'm trying to burst your, your layover bubble here. No, it's totally fine. I'll keep doing that because I want to feel more important than I actually am. And yeah. I want to feel like I'm better than I actually am. So, okay, you tell me, does this count? So last year we had a layover in France, in, in Paris, at Charles de Gaulle Airport. And um, we missed our connecting flight um, from Paris to Kenya. And so we had to basically stay in uh, the Marriott there in Paris that the airlines put us up in. So we were there for a full day. Can I say that I visited France last year, according to your standard, you legalist? Uh, did, it depends. If it, uh, Did you eat a crepe? Or not? I, <laughs> uh, we did have a nice dinner at the Marriott Hotel. I, I think, I'll, I think I'll give you France. I'm going to give you France. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Oh, wow. You're, that. you're you're pretty cultured. I'm very cultured. That's reason number 897 that I'm better than most people that I went to France last year. Mm. I hope everyone hears me and understands that I'm being sarcastic today. But anyway, uh, this topic that we are getting into today, um, if our last two topics were fringy, this topic is a bit, um, bit more serious and a bit heavier. And I think the reason that it is a bit more serious for you and I both is because it hits closer to home and it affects a lot more people than um, DMT. I, I don't know too many people in my church that openly use DMT. Um, however, there are several that I'm connected with that are familiar with some of the teachings and maybe even embrace some of the teachings of this particular movement, and that is the New Apostolic Reformation, or the NAR. Um, Gabe, what what kind of influence have you seen this movement have um, as a pastor, as a spiritual leader? How, how have you kind yeah. of seen the influence of, of this particular movement and these kinds of teachings? Well, it's interesting because I, um, about 11, 12 years ago, um, kind of slipped into the Messianic Jewish world and began worshiping at a Messianic Jewish synagogue um, as a non-Jew attending a Messianic Jewish synagogue. And a lot of the music was um, Messianic Jewish artists and everything else like that. So and a lot of the teaching was from a Messianic perspective. So I say that to say for about 11 to 12 years, I've been completely disconnected and out of, out of the mainstream Christian influence and circle so when I came back and actually my, my reintroduction to that world of, of all things, Bethel and Hillsong and everything else and the new affirmation or new apostolic reformation was actually when I got a teaching job at a Christian school. And um, my first chapel experience at the school was all of that worship music and that experience um, and that theology. Um, mm. And it was kind of my reintroduction to that. So I kind of like was on this, you know, it was kind of isolated from a lot of that stuff. And then as I came back into it, it was like all of that had fully blossomed, all of it had fully bloomed and was there. Yeah. And, and that was my, my initial exposure to it. Sure. Um, but yeah, that was, it was interesting. It was eye opening. 
Yeah, well, my exposure to it really starts, I mean, I think for me, and this, this is going to sound crazy, but um, you got to go back to um, 1993, 1994. Uh, some of the churches that we were attending and visiting um, growing up were talking a lot about the Toronto blessing, the Toronto outpouring, the Toronto revival. I don't know if anybody remembers that, um, but it was a very, very, very um, controversial um, religious movement that's coming out of Toronto um, that really was kind of uh, was this movement in its infancy, basically. Um, and those people that, that were there and that remember it, it was a guy named John Wimber and it was connected with the Vineyard movement. And um, I, I felt like I kind of saw these bits of doctrine and theology kind of interwoven into different churches and different places that we were at. And of course, Gabe, you and I went to college at a Assemblies of God um, Bible College. Mm-hmm. And um, every now and again, we would see, at least I would see kind of different parts of this theology springing up. But I think an important distinction to make is um, this is this movement is not historic Pentecostalism and it's not historic charismatic theology um there there is a notable difference between the teachings of this movement and and those particular traditions um but i I really saw it i think in its full form when i went into ministry in in uh, 2010 as a worship leader and uh truth be told i think i embraced a lot of this stuff because um i really didn't know uh, what it was teaching and how it was different from biblical theology. And, and uh, as I got deeper and deeper into it and got connected with more people that were uh, teaching it, I kind of saw it uh, for what it is and kind of saw some of the things that were being taught and it deeply concerned me. And um, I think that's probably been about the past four or five years. Um, I've kind of been on this journey to really understand these teachings and to really uh, make sure that I am uh, encouraging my people to to filter these teachings through the lens of Scripture and to, to really try to understand them. Yeah, and I think that's ultimately our job as shepherds is not to um, tyrannize or dictate how people should take every single step, but rather right. equip them with discernment, encourage them to, to examine anything, test Test, Paul says, and test everything and hold on to that, which is good and encourage people to do that and continually um, challenge people to do that on a daily or weekly basis. Anything that comes across their radar, they need to be doing that. So that's, that's the goal of it. That's, that's the role of a shepherd is to say, you know, here I'm, I'm doing my best to walk in truth, follow me. um, And then I will alert you if I see something that's inconsistent with scripture. And I want you to be able to identify that so that hopefully one day you won't need me to, to constantly, you know, tell you, this is a, this is a wolf. That's a wolf. That's a wolf. Because sometimes according to scripture, wolves can look a lot like sheep. Absolutely. Well, and I think that's really the aim of our uh, discussion today is man, we, we have no interest in um, ruining a certain minister's reputation. We we don't want to go down the rabbit hole of saying, Hey, uh, there's this one soundbite, this one teacher said on this one YouTube video. No, we want to look at um, clear, consistent, open teachings that are characteristic of this movement. And we want to examine them through the lens of scripture and, and hopefully encourage everybody listening to this to do the same thing. That everything you hear, man, it doesn't matter if the person saying it has, you know, 15 million followers on Twitter, examine what it is they say through the lens of scripture, use discernment 
And uh, and really, mm-hmm. that's what um, our hope is for that. But let's get into this. Let's talk about this movement because somebody hearing this, you know, we start talking about hey, new apostolic reformation. That sounds uh, really fancy, and a lot of people are probably hearing this going, man, I. I don't have any idea what that is, but chances are you probably do, even if you don't know you do, um, because this movement isn't centrally controlled. Most of its followers don't self-identify as part of it. They don't even recognize the name. Um, but all the same, there's thousands of churches. There's millions of believers all across the world that adhere to this teaching. So I'm going to say some names that probably people are familiar with. Um, one of the biggest teachers in the NAR would be Bill Johnson out of Bethel Church in Redding, California. And Bethel Church, of course, is where uh, most people are familiar with that through their worship ministry, Bethel Music, and then also Jesus Culture that comes from that. Uh, Rick Joyner from Morningstar Ministries in Fort Mill, South Carolina. I've actually uh, spent some time there. I went to one of their prayer services. I got to tell you that story sometime, Gabe, that was very interesting. Hmm. So I think it ended with a Jericho march. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, and if you didn't grow up, in the Pentecostal world, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but uh, I'll, I'll tell that story maybe later. And then uh, Mike Bickle out of IHOP in Kansas City, Missouri. That is not International House of Pancakes. That is International House of Prayer. And then um, another one that's kind of uh, gained some traction in recent years is Todd White. Some folks are familiar with him. Are you familiar with him? I'm not. Very, very vaguely. I, I could probably pick him out of a crowd, and that's about the extent of it. Yeah, you probably could. He's the dude with the dreadlocks, and he does yeah. like the, you know, street ministry going around. He's, I think, his ministry is called Lifestyle Christianity. Uh, but this movement very influential because of worship music, very influential because of online content. So it's kind of their specialty is producing very excellent content online, and a, a lot of people who are influenced by this kind of teaching, they don't understand what they're being influenced by, and what the message is are being uh, conveyed and and a lot of times even through worship music that's being sung in most churches um, a lot of times there's a message behind that song and 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 I'll say this and just out of the gate I don't think that all of the music coming out of these churches are are bad or unorthodox or, or false theology man I think there's a tremendous amount of great music that is being used in churches that most people don't even know where it comes from but I think there is some music coming out of these churches that if you really start looking at the theology presented in the music, you kind of understand, well, wow, there's there's a, a difference and there's a divergence from kind of historic Orthodox uh, Christian theology. Yeah, this, this is the first time. It's interesting. This is the first time we see songs intended for corporate worship, songs that are composed for intention of leading people in corporate worship coming and being birthed out of a... a attached to a series of churches, connected churches. Um, That's kind of unique in that way. Normally, and historically speaking, hymns and songs are are composed by an individual or maybe composed by a denomination. Um, But what's problematic about this is that some of this music, because it's birthed out of this movement and these connected churches and these connected apostles, quote unquote, it's it's a wholesale acceptance. I mean, if you're if you're taking on this music, it's like what you're what you're saying in essence and indirectly is, I agree with this movement and I agree with a the theology behind these songs. And that's it's very tough because it's almost like a blank check in a way. Um, and yeah. 
and it, it can be it can be problematic for sure. Yeah, and I and I'd, I I want to get into that a little bit later and kind of just talk through you know practically what does that mean for pastors and for worship leaders because you know I'll just come out of the gate and say and if you come to our church I mean we we have done and we still do some uh, songs that come out of these uh, worship groups, um, but there have been songs that have come out of these worship groups that we have chosen not to do when we started really examining the lyrics and the theology that comes from the lyrics and going, wait a second, that doesn't align with scripture. And, and I, I think it's important to use incredible amount of discernment um, in, in anything that you're singing in church or anything you're encouraging people to worship to or anything like that. So um, man, let's just go through this like bit by bit. But like I said, we, we want to look at the theology. We don't want to look at you know, hey, Bill Johnson said this one time in a YouTube clip 10 years ago, and we're going to pick that apart. We're, we want to look at clear, specific, consistent teachings this movement gives, and then we're going to examine that um, through Scripture and what Scripture says about each of these things. So uh, let's just start with the first. You ready for this, Gabe? I think so. Do you have your Bible open? I do, actually. <laughs> oh, good. Well, mine's hidden in my heart, so. Okay. Boom. That doesn't count. The reason 898, I'm better than you. Just kidding. All right, here we go. The NAR, New Apostolic Reformation, one of their primary teachings, and one of the things they place special emphasis on, and this is the main thing to get and understand, they place special emphasis on modern-day apostles and prophets being restored to a ruling or governing office in the church during the last days. So this is different from like um, someone saying, hey, I feel like I have the gift of prophecy. This mm. is different from someone saying, I think that missionary, I think that church planner has the gift of being an apostle. This is literally saying that in the last days that we're living in now, God has restored the office of the apostle and the office of the prophet. And mm. so their teaching is that God's intended form of church governance is not pastors, is not elders. Instead, God's intended form of church governance is apostles and prophets. And they teach that as the church is properly guided by the appropriate spiritual leaders that God has appointed, that's the only way it can fulfill its commission. That's the only way that it can usher in the kingdom. And, um, this is a very different kind of teaching than what we see in uh, historic Orthodox Christianity um, today. So, so Gabe, talk a little bit about that. What do you think about this teaching? Is the office of the apostle, is the office of the prophet, is that what governs and rules churches nowadays, or is that different from what we see in the Bible? Uh, well, so, so what they're saying, correct me if I'm wrong, is that the office of um, the apostles, the position and, and that role went away for a time. Is that what they're saying? And then it's come back. Correct. So it, okay. it, the, the type of theology is latter rain theology. Okay. And, and this is basically alluding to the prophet Joel, where it says in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. So a yeah. lot of these kind of new charismatic, new wave charismatic movements point to the Azusa street revival in 19. Um, I believe that's 14 as saying that is that is the uh, kind of the ushering in, if you will, of kind of this latter rain, last days, great outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church. And mm. uh, the main 
um, the main leader theologically for the NAIR movement is a guy named C. Peter Wagner. He came out of Fuller Theological Seminary, and, and this is what he writes. He wrote a book called Dominion, How Kingdom Action Can Change the World, and he writes this. He says, of all the changes involved with the emergence of the new apostolic reformation, the most radical of all is the following, the recognition of the amount of spiritual authority delegated by the Holy Spirit to individuals. And so the assertion is that the Holy Spirit poured out in the last days gives certain men and women a tremendous amount of authority to do things like receive revelation directly from God, to cast new vision for the church based on this revelation that they get from God, to birth or start new ministries, to lead the church in spiritual warfare, to teach new things that the Spirit leads them to teach, to impart or activate spiritual gifts, to... Um, send out others who are equipped to fulfill their roles, expanding the kingdom of God. And a lot of these guys claim to have seen Jesus personally to uh, perform supernatural manifestations such as miraculous signs and wonders. And then to, and this is the crazy part about it, then they have the authority, according to their teaching, to appoint other apostles and other prophets within their own network. Hmm. Now, I... I'm just Gabe Rutledge, so I don't have a, a perfect, complete understanding of, I, I may be incorrect in there, but I think um, the, the study of the structure of the local assembly is called ecclesiology. The, it's the study yeah. of the structure of the ecclesia, the called out assembly in Greek. Mm -hmm. And kind of a quick crash course from my understanding from study of scripture is that number one, you have Christ is the head of the ecclesia and then below him are apostles below them and an apostle let me explain the, the role of apostles are these individuals who plant and oversee multiple ecclesias multiple assemblies or churches then right. at the local assembly you have a group of leaders um in greek it's episkopos uh where we get the term um an elder or maybe even some translations have anglicized it to be a bishop um, I think is the King James version has a, has a Episcopos as a Bishop. And then you have these, all, you also have these, um, individuals that work side by side with, at the local assembly level called the, uh, the deacons or in Greek, the diakonos. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we see the elders or the bishops or the AKA the Episcopos, their overseers, the overseers. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Their, their role is to, to guide the local assembly in spiritual matters and teaching and feeding and, you know, and that's, they're the spiritual realm overseeing the spiritual realm of the local assembly. Whereas the diakonos or the deacons are the physical aspects of the local assembly. And then below them, you have these people who are working in the gifts of the Holy Spirit who are doing things like, yeah, they may, they may be bringing words of prophecy um, on an individual level or on a assembly level. And then you have people who are evangelists who are going and sharing the gospel, the euangelion in Greek, it's the, yeah. it's the good news. Yeah. So I think that's kind of a, that's a quick crash course of how the local assembly is to be led. Um, right. But the, the, the role of apostle is one, and here's, here's kind of the bone I have to pick with the modern charismatic movement, is that authority does not come from popularity authority does not come from starting a nationwide or worldwide movement that does not qualify you as having authority in the body of Messiah yes. authority comes from um, scripture 
and a transference from someone who already has established authority. Um, yes. And that we see that biblically speaking, that the apostles would, they would, they would appoint someone to be an apostle. They would lay their hands on them and transfer their authority onto each other. Well, now, and, uh, just for a side note, like, oh, mm -hmm. are you, so when you talk about all of these roles within a church of, you know, apostles, overseers, pastors, elders, it would seem like what, what you're referring to when someone kind of has that modern understanding of kind of that apostolic um, role, that's, that's more of like a, a gift that some people have to be administrative and a gift that some people have to, to have leadership, right? Mm -hmm. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, absolutely. That's, 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 a, that's like a, a CEO level kind of. Right. So the difference, I think, between their understanding of the role of an apostle, like you and I may see that as, man, somebody is um, gifted in administration, somebody's gifted in uh, leadership, somebody's gifted in discipleship, all that stuff, vision casting. They see that as, no, someone has the ability to receive special revelations from God that is equal to scripture. Uh. No, that's right. incorrect. That's incorrect. When I go to Uganda and I get in the car with um, a, a pastor friend of mine in Uganda and we visit six to seven different congregations and he sits down with the leaders of all those congregations and answers questions and disputes and, you know, settles conflict and all that stuff. He is serving as the role of an apostle yes. and he's doing that through the and within the parameters and through the lens of scripture. He's not doing that saying the Holy Spirit is telling me this for your church disseminate that he's right. he's serving as like i said a a on a on a mid level manager level if you were to put it in like corporate terms with right. with christ being the ceo of the entire organization if that makes sense right well and i would like to suggest to our listeners to study the role of apostles in the scriptures because that office of the 12 apostles and in the greek that means um, someone who is sent out, almost like a, a power of attorney, uh, a legal representative of Jesus. These 12 had a very unique role, and they were to proclaim the resurrection because they had all been eyewitnesses of Jesus's earthly ministry. They were to govern the church, because remember, this was before the New Testament was written. And so these men had been with Jesus and heard Jesus teach and been discipled directly by Jesus. And then they were to write scripture. Mm-hmm. So they had a very unique role as apostles, and yes, they had a tremendous amount of authority as apostles because they were the ones who had been with Jesus, they had been taught by Jesus, they'd been empowered by Jesus. Um, and so I believe personally, this is just me, and you can, Gabe, disagree with me if you want, I believe that that particular office with that particular level of authority, that office is closed. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we have a canon of scripture to lean back on. And so our authority now is the writing of those 12 apostles and the ones that they uh, commended along with the apostle Paul. And that's a whole nother study about how he had very uh, apostolic uniqueness, and but he at the same time passed all the tests as well. So I, I think that office is closed. And I think if you study the New Testament, honestly, you'd come to the same conclusion. That level of authority that those 12 have that's not extended to anyone today living. Well, and not only that, but I think the office is closed, and I would use maybe the terminology um, broken, that because I think it, I look at it more so 
as an unbroken chain of the transference of authority. Um, and that, that office is closed not only because the canon is closed, but because that chain has been broken. And as far as we know, we cannot, we cannot find individuals who can trace their apostolic um, origin of authority back to the original source of the 12 apostles. That makes right. sense. So okay. yeah, I think, I think right now um, there are people who are operating as apostles, but should, should um, probably refrain from taking on the title of apostle. Like I said, uh, traveling around and visiting different congregations and, and discipling them and, and helping them grow and flourish and be fruitful. That's the role of an apostle, right. but they shouldn't, I don't think that they should put that on their business card or anything like that. Yeah. I think it was Dr. Rutland used to say, if you see the word apostle on somebody's business card, they probably aren't. Yeah. Um, page uh, 47 of this really great book, by the way, great resource. If you're trying to understand this movement, there's a book called God's Super Apostles, and it's by R. Douglas Gevitt and Holly Pevick. I think that's how you say her name. And um, fantastic resource for really understanding what it is this movement teaches. But it talks about in this book what the role of prophets are. So like in the Old Testament, you see prophets having offices in Israel. And in the nation of Israel, prophets had this very unique calling to prophesy against nations, to prophesy against kings, to prophesy the judgment of God, or to prophesy about Messiah. And they had a level of authority um, in the history of the people of Israel that was, that was a high level of authority. Mm -hmm. And because of that, you couldn't get it wrong. Like if you prophesied and your prophecy didn't come true, you were called a false prophet and they stoned you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Deuteronomy 13 is is the test of a prophet. And yeah, I mean, and, and even if a, if a prophet comes along and what he prophesies comes to pass or he performs signs and miracles and those things actually happen. But Deuteronomy 13 says, if he leads you away from the teachings of the Torah, the, the teachings of my commandments, then he's a false prophet. So he can be, he yeah. can even be like a legit, like tell the future, do signs and wonders. But if he leads you into idol worship, then he's, he's, he's not the real deal. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting about, um, the prophetic movement in the NAR, um, and I'll just read, this is from the book. This is from a guy named Bill Heyman, prophets and prophetic movement. God's prophetic move today. He wrote that book in 2001. Uh, this guy, Bill Heyman is called the prophet or the father of the modern prophetic movement. He's been a leading prophet in charisma magazine. His books are endorsed by uh, other well-meaning NAR leaders. And, and basically what he says is that the role of prophets in the last days is to be prophets to nations where they identify high-ranking demons that rule over nations. They give national leaders prophecies for their nations. They predict earthquakes, tidal waves, other catastrophes in nature. Uh, they speak into existence the plagues of the book of Revelation. Hmm. Wow. Uh, yeah, so they have a, a supposedly a very high level of authority. But what's so funny is if you pick up any of these magazines where you have these modern prophets that give their prophecies of what's going to happen and you analyze them, about 75% or even higher than that of the stuff that they prophesy uh, is so vague and so wishy-washy that you can point to its fulfillment and just about anything a year after it is predicted. So a lot of these super prophets that apparently, according to them, you know, receive these visions and revelations from God where angels show up in their bedroom and give them these prophetic words that are to the church and to the nations. And they have to have this tremendous amount of authority within church governance. 
and we as churches have to follow this prophetic vision that they have given, man, a, a lot of their prophecies are are so wishy-washy and vague that it just seems like, man, that doesn't really mean anything. Mm. And not only that, the ones that uh, are specific usually come about after the fact. So there's a guy that uh, prophesied that the Kansas City Chiefs would win the Super Bowl. Oh, wow. Well, and it, that's a 50-50 chance. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is like that prophecy didn't come out until the day after the Super Bowl. Oh, it's wow. like, dude, if you you have a prophecy that, man, go to Vegas and get all the pastors you know to place all of their uh, church funds on the Kansas City Chiefs, and then we'd have an influx of wealth to all the churches and the mission of the gospel would go out. But you wait until after they win the Super Bowl, then you say, yeah, God showed me the Kansas City Chiefs were going to win the Super Bowl, and when they do, there's going to be a massive revival. I mean— is there something wrong with that picture in terms of how you consider the modern day of prophets uh, with the prophets of the Old Testament? Yeah, I mean, the prophet of the Old Testament, their their entire mission and their entire mantra can be summed up in one word. And that is, I like the, the Hebrew word is teshuva. Teshuva means to, to you're walking in one direction. It means you stop, you realize you're going the wrong way, you turn around and walk the opposite direction. It's In, in English, we, we would translate that as repentance. Mm, um, yep. and that's the, the overarching theme of a prophet is, is to repent, to return to the covenant of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And any prophet that was outside of that, that scope, um, you know, I, I question whether or not they're legit prophet, but right. that was, I mean, that's, that's, should be the overarching theme of anyone who claims to be a prophet is return to the covenant of our forefathers of the, the God of our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's the, like I said, the overarching theme of all the prophets right. in scripture. So here's how this gets fleshed out practically. Since the bedrock of this movement is the teaching that in the last days, the office of the apostle and the office of the prophet has been restored in the last days. Uh, these teachers and these leaders have free reign to say just about anything, no matter how kooky it gets, no matter how strange it is, no matter how off the grid and off the radar it is, because they have, according to this view, the authority within the church to say those things, you have to take what it is these guys say as equal to Scripture, unless it contradicts Scripture. Hmm. That, to me, is exceptionally dangerous. Dangerous, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, let me read. This is a good spot to read this verse. Um, this is Second uh, Timothy. So Paul is writing to his student, Timothy. It's a second letter to him, chapter 4, verse 3. And he says, For a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but instead to suit their own desires. They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Mm. So I think yeah. what Paul is saying is, hey, Timothy, um, the propensity of human beings is, and just like in the time of the prophets, is to reject the message of repentance. And I think I think we see that every, every generation has this, we have this propensity to surround ourselves with people to create an echo chamber of things that our flesh likes to hear and our pride likes to hear. Um, and that's, that's one of the, one of the biggest things I have with this new apostolic reformation is yeah, this idea. And I, I heard one leader and let me quote him real fast. He says, the kingdom 
the kingdom of God represents a, a, a triune healing for the whole person, spirit, soul, and body. And he says, the word evil in the Lord's prayer. Now, listen to this. This is really interesting hermeneutics. The word evil in the Lord's prayer, it comes from a word that means pain. And that word comes from a word that means poor. You see where he's going here with this? Oh, gosh. So sin, sin now that's that's amazing hermeneutics, isn't it? Yeah, um, that's, a, that's so, hermeneutical gymnastics, if you will. Here it gets better. He says, so sin, sickness, and poverty were all dealt with with the redemptive brushstroke of Jesus. Never again were any of these three areas to ever have authority over believers' lives ever again. So we have a, wow. we have the authority to declare an end to fill in the blank. Okay, so can I guess who it was that said that? I think I know who it was. <laughs> Just the flavor of that hermeneutical gymnastic move, I think I know who it was. Was it, was it Bill Johnson? It was, it was, yeah. How did I know so, that? That's crazy. I, well, and I, I think that's 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 one of the things is like this they harp on this idea of physical poverty. If you're in a state of physical poverty, it means that you're separated from God or you're in you're in sin or you're not being obedient to this or that. And I think that's so sad and so dangerous to teach that and to teach to teach that as truth. I mean, that is what is holding much of the Christian and religious world in in the continent of Africa in shackles of, of absolutely perpetual poverty right now is men coming up and stepping up and teaching that very thing that all you have to do is just give a little bit more and God will bless you he will multiply that or all you have to do is declare victory over this area of your life and then you have victory you don't have to do anything to try to resolve the conflict you don't have to do anything to get a better job or pursue an education I, I, had, I had one uh Ugandan pastor tell me that the word of faith, the health and wealth prosperity gospel movement is the spiritual aids in mm. Sub-Saharan Africa. Oh yeah. That, yeah that that's it, really does more, it does more damage and it does more death to true biblical churches than almost anything else. I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. Well, let's keep going. So that's the first bedrock movement, the role of apostles, the role of prophets being restored in the last days. And again, you see something very different in the scripture. The second distinctive that is really emphasized in this movement is experience and, and personal experience and new revelations from God that is emphasized over clear revelation from God given to us in scripture. So there's this mm -hmm. emphasis on extra biblical uh, strategies and tactics of spiritual warfare. So there are these different things that they teach that you have to do in order to have victory over demons in a certain area. You have to have an apostle name through a um, revelation from God or a prophet name through revelation from God, whatever the ruling or controlling demon is in that city, so you can pray against that demon in that city. And if you can't have an, a prophetic word to really do that, you're not going to have victory or breakthrough in that. Um Probably the most famous one is the Seven Mountain Mandate. Have you heard about this? I have, yeah, yeah. In researching, you know, and studying for this episode, that I, I came across that. It's really fascinating. In yeah. A weird so, way. so the Seven Mountain Mandate is is this teaching that basically comes about, um, and a lot of it's tied to their eschatology, which is the study of end times. And basically, this is a this isn't in scripture, but it's taught almost as if it is scripture. And because it's been given to one of their super prophets, one of their super apostles, they claim that it's this new strategy that God's revealed called the Seven Mountain Mandate. And according to this revelation, the church 
must take control over the seven most influential social and societal institutions, which they call mountains. And that is government, media, family, business, education, church, and arts. And these institutions are presently dominated by the world and by people who don't know God. And so in order for the church to advance God's kingdom, according to this prophecy, the church has to take control over them. And the church's mandate is to conquer these seven mountains, uh, just like Israel's mandate was to conquer seven nations before they entered into the promised land. And the, the guy that I guess came up with this, his name is Johnny Enlow, and his book was called The Seven Mountain Prophecy. And, and this is taught as almost gospel truth mm-hmm. in a lot of places, specifically Youth with a Mission, YWAM. Um, th- it's almost like that's that is their gospel that is the thing that they teach um and and so god is in the business according to them of giving new revelations to these people um who are given special authority in the church what you'll see most frequently in this is a tremendous amount of extra biblical practices you don't see in scripture and if you question these practices according to this teaching you're questioning god mm, of course yeah so what do you what do you think about that well, I think it's almost completely uh, opposite of what biblical eschatology teaches us, um, because biblical eschatology says that in the end times, uh, here, I'll, I'll quote scripture because I like I can't go wrong. Matthew 20, 24, 37 to 39, as in the days of Noah, so will the coming of the son of man be. What were the days of Noah like? You go to Genesis 6, it says that every Everyone was chasing the every imagination and thought of their own hearts. And it says only evil continually. They, they chased only evil continually. Every day they were after evil in their own imaginations. So, so the scripture teaches that the world's going to get worse before Jesus returns, not that we're going to rule and reign over seven mountains yeah. of culture. Yeah, that we will not have, I mean, that in a way, like we will be continually ostracized and and pushed out of those realms um, and, and have anything but dominion in any of those realms. And then at the coming of the Son of Man, Daniel chapter 7 talks about that he will he will be given the Son of Man, which is a messianic title that, that Jesus uses throughout the Gospels. The Son of Man will be given dominion over the world. Not not us before his coming, but he will he will be given dominion over the entire world. And, and after he has taken his throne, then he mm-hmm. invites us to rule and reign with him. Yeah, not, not to do it before he shows up. Right? Yeah, that's that's only after every knee has bowed and every tongue confessed that he right. is Lord. And they they give him they they hand him over dominion, and yeah. then and then yeah, we you know he and it says that he will rule with a, a rod of iron. Um, but that's that's not us creeping into all these different realms and and uh, and kind of taking control of all these different realms. Well, and, and to be fair, it's not wrong for Christians to have influence and to let their light so shine before men, as Matthew 5 says, in these realms. But when yeah. someone takes an, a, a teaching and they call it a mandate because God gave it as a prophecy to one of these people, and that becomes the marching orders for the church, mm-hmm. we must have dominion in the realm of government. I mean, holy cow. Can you Mm -hmm. see how that becomes just absolutely dangerous in terms of the entire mission of the church becomes less about making disciples and becomes more about having dominion in the realm of government? I mean, there's, there's Mm -hmm. something wrong with that. Well, and then the implication is that if you're not 
um, climbing in some sort of ladder in one of those seven realms that you're somehow in disobedience or in, in misalignment with God's will. I mean, look at look at people like Daniel, look at people like Joseph. They didn't make a concerted effort and a conscious effort to climb those realms of you know the different capacities they found themselves in. They were just obedient to God's word and they found favor in those different and they found favor by those different leaders in those capacities and were lifted up by those leaders because they were being obedient to God's word. And that's I love the last lines of the book of Ecclesiastes. This is the this is the sum of man is to love God, to fear to fear God and keep his commandments. Yeah. And in so doing, people will look at that and they will have one of two reactions. They will ostracize us or they will they will say this is someone I can trust. This is someone who is honest. This is someone who is just. And I'm going to elevate them within my organization, whatever organization that is. Right. So it, really the dangerous part about that emphasis is you have a lot of things that aren't found in scripture that are being taught as scripture and you can't question them mm -hmm. because if you question them, you're questioning God. And there becomes this cult of personality around teachers like, um, you know, Bill Johnson, Shay Ann, Lou Engle, all these other guys and and you you can't question them like they make people in their church call them Papa Bill. Hmm. Do you make people in your church call you Papa Gabe? I, I might actually think about doing that from now. Yeah. That's, that's catchy. Papa yeah, Gabe. and that's a uh, to me and and I study a lot about the the cults and there's a great book called The Kingdom of the Cults. That's downright cultic behavior. I'm not saying that Bethel Church is a cult, but if you make your people call you Papa. And they can't question the things that you're teaching that aren't clearly found in Scripture. There is something wrong with that picture. Hmm. Just saying. Well, okay. I think questioning things according to Scripture and examining things that are taught to us according to Scripture is a is a is a biblical injunction put on every single believer out there. That if someone comes to a spiritual leader, a pastor, anybody and has a question and has their Bible open and has a teachable spirit and has a humble spirit and say, show me that what you just taught in the Bible. I say, thank you so much for thinking Absolutely. critically about what I just taught you. Yeah. And I want my people to do that for me. I, I want my people to have their Bibles open on their lap and everything I say, I want them to go, okay, is pastor actually teaching this word or is he making stuff up? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because man, that's a sign of spiritual maturity. Cause I'm not, like you said earlier, I'm not always going to be there for them. And mm -hmm. I want them to be able to eat themselves and not be spoon fed from these special revelations that I receive that I give to them. And the only way they can hear from God is hear from me. That's mm. that's bizarre and wrong and backwards on so many levels. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, let's keep going. Okay. So first emphasis of this movement is the office of modern day apostles and prophets being restored. We looked at that in scripture. Second is experience over scripture. And kind of these extra biblical teachings uh, that are taught as scripture because the prophets and apostles said that. And the third is mysticism and signs and wonders emphasized over doctrine. And so the seeking of signs and wonders is usually a, a trait of this movement. And according to this teaching, as the church unifies behind the apostles, uh, the leaders within this movement will develop greater and greater supernatural powers and eventually according to some of their teachers i'm not making this stuff up this includes the ability to perform mass healings and suspend the laws of physics hmm. and and these signs are intended to encourage a massive wave of converts to christianity and so 
Um, people have prophesied about the great wealth transfer in the end times when every hmm. Christian gets super rich, uh, which will enable the church to establish God's kingdom on earth. So um, there's this emphasis on what they call, this is their term, not mine, power evangelism. And the most effective way to preach the gospel and fulfill the kingdom mandate is through supernatural signs, supernatural wonders, healings, empowering of the Holy Spirit. And so kind of ground zero for these kinds of things happens at Bethel Church in Redding, California, where people report that feathers fall from the sky. Gold dust uh, comes from the ceiling in the middle of worship service, um, suspiciously close to the uh, the vent for their HVAC system, I might add. Uh, <laughs> just saying, gemstones fall on the altar during worship. People claim to be drunk in the spirit of God, so they roll around on the floor like they're drunk, and they call that a supernatural sign. Uh, they have these things called fire tunnels where people walk through and uh, everybody lays their hands over them. And once you've walked through the fire tunnel, you have the anointing of God and you are most of the time drunk in the Holy Spirit. Hmm. And most of the purposes of meetings and worship services are not to receive sound doctrine taught to us from Scripture through a pastor and elder, but rather to have an experience of the power of God and the supernatural that emphasizes uh, those things. So what do you think about that, Gabe? What do you think? You want to get, you want to go get hammered in the spirit? <laughs> I want to go, go find some jewels. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you want to go get some glitter from Joanne's crafts and we can put them in the HVAC of your... Uh... Here's the here's the thing. Is, is like, where in scripture does it say that gold dust falling from the ceiling makes a movement, a scriptural movement? Or, or I mean... Our enemy, Satan, can replicate so much and can yep. counterfeit so much. There is, that's the thing is people have to be so grounded and so sober-minded um, and, and so, so into the word of God that they can spot uh, fraud when they see it. But there is nothing in scripture that says, if you see all these things, that validates this as being a legit thing. Um, in fact, isn't it that says, uh, Jesus says in the last days, there'll be many that perform signs and wonders to deceive even the elect. Isn't that the words of Jesus? I believe. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. And then, and then Matthew seven, and, and let me, let me pause for a second and say that I in no wheel, I, I in no way feel threatened by this movement or these people. I, I don't, and it's not like I'm having these people poached out of our congregation or anything like that. So I'm not saying this is a per, like a personal thing or personal attack or anything. I'm just, I'm just saying, because I find it interesting, but also I want to warn people of some of the unscriptural things going on in here. But Matthew seven, says that many will come to me in those days saying, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we raise people from the dead? And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. Now that terrifies me because mm -hmm. I've never, I've never given a word, a prophetic word. I've never cast out a demon. I've never raised someone from the dead. So I'm zero for three on those things. Mm. But there's something about, even if you're three for three, he will say, depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. So I think, I think it, it bears digging into this word iniquity and figuring out what that is and how do we abstain from that? Because apparently we can have supernatural powers to do some amazing things, um, but still not 
be welcomed into the kingdom. And that's terrifying to me. And it should be terrifying to people who are listening as well. Yeah. I, I think uh, we have to consider uh, an explanation for what these things are, right? Um, I, I'll, I'll just come out of the gate and say I would consider myself, um, I, I don't really like labels, but I believe in the power of God. I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I believe that God is a miracle working God. I've seen God do miraculous things in my life. I've seen him do miraculous things uh, in church services that I that I can't explain. So I'm not dismissing or discounting all these things. But I think what you see in the pattern of Scripture, specifically the miracles of Jesus, every miracle of Jesus had a purpose, and every miracle of Jesus was a sermon within itself. Hmm. Right? I mean, it pointed to something. And most of the time, what it pointed to was the divinity and the supremacy and the power of Jesus as the Son of God. Hmm. And it displayed his power. Even in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, after Jesus ascended into heaven, when the miracles were working through the apostles, it was always followed by a clear teaching of the gospel that included repentance and encourage people to take a response through baptism and through being involved in the ecclesia, being involved in the family of faith. Mm. The problem is you don't see that in most of these supernatural signs, wonders, and healings. Most of what you see, and, and I've been to services like this, I've been to prayer meetings like this within churches that self-identify as part of this movement. Specifically, I've been to Morningstar Ministries in Fort Mill, South Carolina. You see people who have been believers or claim to be believers for 20, 30 years, gathering together in a room, whether that's a church or a, a hotel ballroom or whatever, a convention center, and and all they're doing is they're having these emotive, ecstatic experiences that, that aren't for the purpose of preaching the gospel, aren't for the purpose of telling people about Jesus. It's just for them to have emotive experiences. And I think there is something deeply wrong with a group of people that say, I'm a mature believer, I've known Jesus for 20 years, and instead of me wanting to know him through his word or wanting to know him um, through the people of God or the mission of God, I just want to sit around and roll on the ground laughing and convulsing like I'm drunk. Yeah, because that's that's clearly one of the fruits of the Spirit, right? <laughs> Self-control, <laughs> yeah, right? Be not drunk with wine, be drunk with the anointing. Well, and I, here, I have something written in my Bible, and I will disclaimer, I have no idea where I got this from. It's been in my Bible for the better part of 10 years, but I wrote it on the inside cover of it, and I'm going to read it to you guys um, because I think these are some good tools that you can utilize to test any movement, any teacher, or any organization as to whether or not it's a move movement or a teacher from God. Number one, are they exalting, glorifying, and proclaiming the gospel, uh, proclaiming Jesus of Nazareth as the promised Messiah. Number two, do they conform with and have a love for and submission to the authority of scripture? Number three, are they teaching repentance from sin and are they pushing people towards holiness? And number four, do they have a burden for the lost? So this might not be bulletproof, but these are four things. These are like a, a four prong litmus test that I use and apply to every teacher movement song, you name it, and run it through this filter and ask, is this something that's of God? Because I don't, personally, I think that our enemy would have a hard time replicating all four of those things and right. duplicating those things. That makes sense? 
Absolutely. And Jesus even said uh, when they accused him of uh, casting out demons by the power of demons, Jesus mm-hmm. said, you know, a house divided can't stand. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, the work of God actively opposes the forces of darkness. It doesn't mirror and look like the forces of darkness. Here's a here's a creepy thing. If you Google search drunk in the spirit Bethel Church and you watch the behavior of some of these people that are doing these behaviors, and then you Google search Kundalini Awakening Hindu Cult, mm. and you watch these videos side by side, people that are apparently having ecstatic experiences in the signs and wonders of the NAR they are manifesting physical signs that look exactly like those who are having a Kundalini awakening with a Hindu demon. Sheesh. I'm Kundalinis, man. <laughs> you got to watch out for them Kundalinis. <laughs> I'm probably not saying that right. That's my Georgia. Georgia accent. It's probably something much more. Okay, let's, let's, let's look at the very last one. We already briefly touched at it. So number one, the, the bedrock was apostles and prophets must rule and reign. Number two, there's an emphasis of experience over scripture and extra biblical revelations over the teaching of scripture. Number three, emphasis of mysticism over doctrine. And number four, and we already briefly touched on this, eschatology. That is the study of end times, how this all ends and how Jesus returns. There is an emphasis of kingdom now theology over apocalyptic timing that Gabe briefly touched upon. So according to the NAR movement, mankind lost its dominion over earth as part of the fall of Adam. So Jesus' sacrifice on the cross not only resolved our sin debt, it empowered mankind, specifically Christians, to retake control of the earth. That would be the seven mountains of culture. We briefly talked about that as well. So the New Apostolic Reformation overtly encourages Christian dominionism. That is over politics, culture, businesses, finance. Um, In some ways, this isn't unusual because most evangelical leaders tell their folks to get out and vote and lobby for their convictions. But this is different because this is a, a push for outright theocracy. It's like a mandate. Yes. Marching, marching orders. Yep. And so this is what they teach, and this is so crucial. And if you, you see this, you can't unsee this when you listen to music that comes out of Jesus Culture and Bethel Church specifically, but other places as well. The NER teaches that before Jesus can come back, we as Christians have to take dominion over the earth. Hmm. That is not just a spiritual dominion. That is a cultural dominion. And once we have pulled heaven down, that's the teaching of Bethel Church, heaven come, heaven now, heaven here, heaven on earth. That's their whole thing. And you go to their website, you pull up their app, you see that everywhere, heaven on earth, heaven on earth, heaven on earth. What are they saying? Here's what they're saying. They're saying that we pull heaven down and we establish the culture of heaven, the Jesus culture, on the earth. And when we do that, then Jesus comes and he basically sits on the throne that we have made for him on the earth. Now, here's why that's so different from what the Bible teaches. Just like you said, Gabe, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be before the return of the Son of Man. Like, it's going to be harder and harder to become a Christian according to the teachings of Jesus mm-hmm. and Revelation. It's not going to become easier and easier to become a Christian. It's going to be harder and harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We will be... Uh ostracized, um, imprisoned. I mean, there's, there's believers all around the world right now that are being Boko Haram has killed 
countless Nigerian Christians and, and North Korea, China, I mean, you name it. There's just like, there's so much persecution going on um, that this isn't bearing out. This isn't showing, I mean, just on a, on a global scale, this, this theology is not making any headway. So, no. I mean, what, what are we doing wrong? I mean, look at, look at just the church in America. Um, I mean, we're, we're coming up in the next five or 10, 20 years. Um, we're going to see some radical changes happening within our culture um, on, on various fronts in our culture, uh, with, with, you know, things like tolerance, um, you know, uh, just mass assimilation into, um, an ungodly, you know, just it's, it's not, I guess my point is being, it's, it's not making any headway. I don't see it making any headway, nor do I see it scripturally. And that's, that's okay because that's what our King, that's what our, our master, our savior said would happen. And he says, when you see that day coming, hold your head high because your redemption is drawing near. Right. That's okay. So, do you know what is making way though? And and again, if I've sounded really harsh and critical, forgive me, but what is making way is uh, this movement is going viral through online teaching, online content, through hmm. the music, through a, a lot of other things. And because it's going viral and the content is being mass produced, um, millions of dollars are being made mm. um, from conferences, from books, from uh, streaming services. You can actually pay a subscription fee for streaming services for some of these guys. And and that's deeply troubling and deeply saddening for me as well. Um, mm-hmm. Not that I have a problem with, you know, a, a Christian leader selling a book. I mean, uh, the book that Corey and I, my senior pastor, we wrote together, We you can buy it on Amazon. So I don't have a problem with that. What I have a problem with is I always question the motives of someone when they are saying they have a direct revelation from God, and then they're saying to receive it, you got to pay to play. Yeah, I think especially if you're if you're taking on the title of a prophet, um, the prophets did things like walk around in the streets naked, yelling things right. out. And they did things like... Um, uh, they did things like never, never once did we see a prophet charge for any of their message. If anything, they they roamed the streets yelling it out at the top of their lungs, and were highly persecuted because of that. Um, yeah. I mean, just look at look at the look at the first twelve apostles. Um, only all all of them but one died, broke, died torturous deaths, um, and died completely ostracized, probably from their families from their from their businesses from everything else and they refused stubbornly refused to give up their testimony and yeah. i mean that's we don't have to be um major influencers uh we don't have to be wealthy we don't have to have all these things in order to prove that we're um gaining dominion in these areas of our lives um yeah. that that that's setting a lot of people up for a great disappointment Right. And it's almost a Christian pyramid scheme because I think we could do a whole nother episode on the intersection between the new apostolic reformation and the word of faith movement. Because mm-hmm. um, the word of faith movement, and, and we've briefly touched on this episode, is the prosperity gospel. Um, you know, you have the power because you're made in the image of God to speak things into existence. So positive yeah. confession, all that stuff. And there's an intersection between this movement and that movement. There is. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed that as well. I noticed and, as well. And, and so you see that a lot. You know, I, I speak out a miracle or I, I prophesy this or I prophesy that or, you know. Or, and, or here's one. Don't don't confess that illness over your body. That's right. That's right. Don't accept that prognosis. 
and and if you really study that and you 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 really examine that mindset and that teaching, that has its roots in things like the Christian Science Movement, in the mm-hmm. metaphysical cults of the early 1900s, that taught something that is completely different from Orthodox Christianity, and then that got transferred from um, all of those teachers to a guy named Kenneth Hagen, who transferred that to Kenneth Copeland, who transferred that to guys like Joel Osteen and T.D. Jakes and Creflo Dollar and Benny mm-hmm. Hinn and Jesse Duplantis that then influence uh, Bill Johnson and a lot of these other guys. And so if you really look at that, what's so sad about that is you've got a guy like Kenneth Copeland who claims to be worth somewhere in the neighborhood of $800 million U.S. dollars and teaches his people that they can have that kind of wealth too if they speak it into existence, if they prophesy it, if they believe it, because because they're made in the image of God, they're able to speak things into existence just like God spoke the world into existence. And and man, that is on a whole nother level, a kind of heresy that, golly, man, we could do a whole mm-hmm. three episodes on what's wrong with those uh statements but um man <laughs> don't get me triggered i know i'm trying to be nice but man i, I i'm passionate about this and I, i'll tell you why i'm passionate about this because i feel like most people that get exposed to this teaching they love jesus they believe the bible they want more of god they want to experience the holy spirit and they get wrapped up in this most of the time because they're just seeking out a deeper experience with God Mm. and they get led astray into these goofy teachings that have nothing to do with scripture and these goofy teachings that have nothing to do with the gospel. And they start believing that this is what it means to have a deeper experience with God. And to tell someone that that's deep into this movement, it's almost like if you question Bill Johnson, you're questioning Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's setting them up for disappointment and that disappointment leads to doubt and that doubt leads to walking away from the faith. Yeah. Um, and that's that's what we as shepherds, um, that's what keeps us awake at night is the people doing yes. that. And, you know, that's what keeps us driving on um, and pursuing the will of God is is realizing. And and it's not like it's not like when I when I went to college, I wanted to do this and not like like I, we said in the first episode, it's not this is something I, I didn't want to be. When I, when I grew up, I grew up a pastor's kid and I didn't, I didn't want to do this. I didn't want this for my family, but I have an inexplicable, I believe God given burden on my heart for people and to see them walk in obedience to God's word. Yes. And I can't explain it. I sometimes wish it wasn't there, but there's other times where I'm so thankful and so grateful that it's there. And that is what makes me come between my flock that I've been entrusted with that aren't are ultimately aren't mine, but, but the flock that I've been entrusted with and a wolf, I will stand between them and that wolf and look the wolf in the face and say, go away. You know, yeah. you, you are not welcome here. Yeah. Um, and that's, well, that's our job. That's our job is to feed, is. feed and protect. That is. And, and um, I hope anyone listening can hear our heart in that, that we don't, we don't talk about these things just because we want to delight in calling out other pastors. Um, m- most of the people whose names we've mentioned that they'll, they'll never listen to this episode. They'll never hear this <laughs> podcast. I mean, they've got bigger fish to fry and they're way more important than us. Uh, my hope is that it, people listening to this 
um, that do love Jesus and that want to obey him and want to follow his word, they're doing so by reading his word and seeking out the truth of his word, not just going with whatever whim their emotions lead them down. Um, and, and so, yeah, uh, real quick, let's land the plane. Gabe, give me one minute of your thoughts on should churches play songs by Bethel music and Jesus culture? Yes or no. Give me your minute response and I'll give you mine. Our decision as elders of our congregation is no. And this is, this is just us. This is something we thought best is moving forward that our congregation play music. That is direct quotations from scripture, which there is plenty of. Um, it is a safeguard for us. It's a safeguard for uh, um, our worship experience. Um, so that is our decision. And I would say to someone who's listening, um, if you're not in a position of leadership at your congregation or church, uh, that's not necessarily your call to make and pray. If you are in agreement with that, you need to pray for your leaders that they would come to that decision. Um, but that's not your decision to make. That's ultimately theirs. Um, mm. But if you're a leader in 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 the capacity of a pastor or elder at a congregation or church, um, I would say that this was our decision, and that it's not a cookie cutter decision that that is necessarily applicable to your congregation or church. Right. So here's here's kind of the stance that I have uh, taken on that. Um, I believe that everything that is sung in a corporate gathering amongst believers, we should consider um, the teachings and we should consider the message of that particular song. Um, I don't necessarily think that we have to go down the rabbit hole of everything that we sing asking who wrote it and what did they believe. Because I think if we started doing that, um, we would we would probably end up ripping out a lot of hymns and a lot of songs that we sing from our services. I think instead we need to ask the question, what is this song talking about? What is this song um, speaking on? And does it align with the Christian gospel? So while I was recording that last little bit, uh, Gabe's internet cut off. And believe it or not, Gabe and I are not in the same room when we record these podcasts. So he has given me permission and the full liberty to close out this episode any way that I would like. And while I could share some embarrassing stories about Gabe, instead I will just say... Thank you for listening. Please consider everything we've said, but don't take our word for it. Go back to your Bible, pray about it, talk to somebody that you know and trust that knows the word of God, and please examine these things and use a tremendous amount of discernment in anything that you watch, anything you listen to, anything that you sing, and anything that you encourage other people to do as well. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.